Welcome everybody. This is How to English. Teach and learn with Gavin M. It's a podcast about teaching and learning English as a foreign language. All opinions stated are personal and references will be given when necessary. Okay, so M, have you like heard of um, filler words? Yes, Gav. But what are they and why do we use them? Well, they're like, basically, they're sort of used to fill pauses um, or, I mean, to emphasise something um, or perhaps, you know, show indirectness. Actually, filler words can express doubt or even um, indicate mood. I enjoyed that, Gav. I can see what you were doing with that. Did you notice that I was using filler words in those sentences? Yes. And to be honest, it sounded very hesitant and like you were perhaps procrastinating a little bit. Em, do be honest with me and use those fillers too, because they make me feel more relaxed and at ease with the way that you're talking to me. What do you mean use them too? Did I just use a filler? Well, you used, to be honest which sounds like a bit of a unnecessary, redundant piece of language. Aha. Uh-huh. So that's one of the discourse markers, I think, to highlight or emphasise what I'm saying. Oh, we're getting into this. This is fun. It's loads of fun. And I've got an activity for us later on so we can go deep dive into some of these filler words. And we have a very, very special guest. That's right, Gav. We have a distinguished guest for today's show, Valerie Fridland, linguist and author of Like Literally Dude, arguing for the good in bad English, which is out on the 18th of April, 2023, published by Viking. Um, I think you have to say that title again, but with a much more natural voice. I thought I did, but okay. Like Literally Dude. Is that better? That is exactly what I think Valerie was looking for. In the book, she delivers a lively linguistic exploration of the speech habits we love to hate and why our likes and literally actually make us better communicators. Valerie is a professor of linguistics in the English department at the University of Nevada, Reno. She writes a popular language blog on psychology today called Language in the Wild and is also a professor for the Great Courses series. All links are in our show notes. And she also has contributed to Grammar Girl podcast. Em, do you remember Grammar Girl? I do, Gav. It's an excellent podcast and website, and I'm always there looking for good tips and fun ways to present language to my students. Very, very useful. Shall we have a listen to Valerie explaining what filler words and discourse markers are, Em? Uh, yeah. (laughs) Hi. My name is Valerie Friedland, and I'm what's called a sociolinguist, or someone who studies the interaction between language and society. I'm the author of the new book, Like Literally Dude, Arguing for the Good and Bad English. And today I would like to talk to you about something that all languages have, but few people in those languages really like, and that's discourse markers and filler words. The funny thing about discourse markers and filler words, and by that I mean things like so, you know, well, and like, is that they are actually very necessary, even though speakers of languages that have those words in them don't tend to think of them as good language or great features of their speech. 
But in fact, if we didn't have them, we sound very robotic. The value of discourse markers and filler words is that it helps with conversational cohesion. It's sort of the social greasing of our speech. It also sort of signposts for the people we're talking to where we're going with what we're saying. And it can also communicate things like our stance or our evaluation of what we're about to say or of what someone else just said. So today, though, I don't want to go over all the discourse markers because that would take forever. I just want to talk about the one that a lot of English speakers notice in their speech, even if they're speaking some form of global English and not American English, but don't tend to like, and that is like, which is probably the most frequent discourse marker in new Englishes. What I mean by that is Englishes that are spoken by people under 40. Well, that doesn't mean people over 40 don't use these, but it's really prevalent in the speech of younger speakers. Now, like has a long history, which would probably surprise most people. Of course, we use it as a verb quite often, even today, and this is its oldest usage. So when you say something like, I like ice cream, you could have said that back in the 12th century. But if you said something like, like, I like ice cream, that wouldn't have come around until about the 18th century, which is probably surprising to many people because we think of those as Valley Girl speech or Southern California speech. And certainly that wasn't around back in the 18th century. But in fact, it's actually a British feature, and it seems to have spread from Britain to all sorts of places in global English, including Australia and America, among many others. Now, the question is, what does like do? And it seems like like serves three important functions as a discourse marker. Its first function is as an approximating adverbial, which is simply a big word for about. It basically estimates or provides an approximation of something that you don't want to firmly state as ex an exact amount. And that would be using it in a context like he weighs like 25 pounds or she's about or like 15 years old. So you see how about and like can you be used interchangeably there? Now, the reason we don't tend to like like is mainly because of its association with younger speakers and not because it's actually not serving a function because it's serving exactly the same function there as about is. And people that don't like like are sort of slowly going the way of the dodo, which means that like is here to stay. Another use of like, and probably the one that's even more dispreferred than an, as an adverbial approximator, is using like as a true discourse marker. And this is the like that ends up at the beginning of sentences or in the middle and doesn't really seem to serve a definable purpose. So that would be something such as like, I don't know what he's talking about where the like is sort of prefacing something I'm going to say and telling me, oh, this is connected to what I just said. So in that case, it's using a sort of a sentential connector. So it is serving a function, just not one that people tend to notice or like overtly in a way that they can describe. Another use of like is sometimes to express a subjective sensibility or sort of the idea that what I'm talking about isn't an exact fit to what I mean, but it's the closest thing I could come up with. And that would be something such as he was drinking like a beer. And that means I'm not really sure it was a beer, but it kind of looked like a beer. It could have been a root beer. It could have been a soda, something in a beer-like bottle, but it wasn't an exact fit to what I know is a fact in the world. So I'm just kind of estimating or approximating subjectively what I think it was. The final use of like is completely different than any of those likes because it's not actually used as a discourse marker, but instead as what we call a quotative verb. Now, quotative verbs are things like to say in English, where you are prefacing a direct quote with 
he said, or I said, or they said, what we see, especially for younger speakers, is that they will often say instead, I was like, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, blah, 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 where you're quoting or taking on the speech of someone else and you're prefacing it by the use of like. Why is this handy? Well, because what it allows us to do instead of the verb to say is not actually directly quote someone. We can instead sort of say, this is a gist of what they said. And no one expects that to be what they actually said. If I say he said X, then I expect that X was actually what he really said. If I said he was like X, that means he said something like this, maybe not exactly this, but something like it. It also allows us to kind of switch up perspectives. So what we find is when people tell stories, they often say, he said, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, blah, 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 where they shift between say and like for the different characters in the story, which helps set them apart and also kind of adds to the dramatic tension. So all in all, like is actually pretty useful. And if we just understand how to use it and why young speakers are so engaged and interested in using it, I think we're going to like our discourse markers a little more. Like, bye. Thanks for listening. Wow, Gav. Can we go back and listen to that again? There was so much in it. I think I need it all again. And would you like to listen to Valerie again? Please. Press here. Thank you, Valerie. There was so much information in there. Fortunately, I was making notes. Em, have you got your notes? Got lots of notes now. And I learned some very useful terminology to discuss discourse markers and filler words. I really like like now, Gav. I think Valerie might have changed my mind about it. I didn't know it had such a fascinating history. Absolutely. Let's blame the British for this. Mm. <laughs> And I realised I had the same kind of prejudice that Valerie was describing about this feeling that it's not good language and that it sounds really slang or lazy. But I can really see now, I've heard the examples, that they really help so we don't sound robotic. And I also liked Valerie's phrase about social greasing. I thought that was very good. I love that idea. You're absolutely right, Em. I think we do try quite hard to remove these extra seemingly unnecessary words from our everyday speech and as teachers we often forget to tell our students to just put a few ums and ahs in there just to give themselves a bit more time or maybe to direct as Valerie said some signposting to tell people your feelings about what you're about to say. That's right Gav. Have you ever seen this in a book Gav in an English book to teach these the non-verbal sounds? Have you ever seen it actually taught or presented in a book? I may have noticed them before, but it's really not common. No, and it is something that makes you sound natural. And I think I've realised when I listen to some of my students, they are very fluent and they're very accurate and they are speaking perfectly well, but there is something missing sometimes. And it is that hesitation or the, the thing that's in the space where the silence is. And I really have to start thinking about teaching it to them because it must be quite a hard skill to learn, but it really does help you sound more natural. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think my students often sound very direct where they don't start the sentence with, um, do you think or personally or 
to be honest, which are also great expressions that we do try to encourage our exam students to use when they're writing essays. Absolutely. I was going to mention that too. It is focused in writing skills and exams, but not so much in the speaking skills as far as I remember. So to summarise some of what Valerie mentioned, there is the verb to like, meaning I like ice cream, to prefer something, to have a preference for something. Like being an approximation. It was like this big. Yeah, there were like 50 people at the party. So you can use that instead of about. There was also when there isn't really a function for it. It's just like, (laughs) I think I just said like. (laughs) It is just a connector word to go to the next part of the phrase or the sentence. Prefacing, a discourse marker, I think Valerie said, prefacing and connecting sentences and ideas, and also a quotative verb. Yes, first time I've heard that word, but it makes sense. It's a verb that quotes or reports speech. Perfectly logical. I was like saying this, and I thought also what we say is, um, so I met my friend and I was like, how are you? And he goes, I'm fine. So we also use go. Yes. Meaning to say. Yes. And if it's in the past, we'd say, and he went mm. like this. Yeah. So there's verbs that we don't always think of for reporting speech that we use. And like doesn't even need a word like say or tell. It just says he was like this. Mm. And say and tell, as Valerie said, can also be used for different characters in the story that we're retelling. Yeah, nice variety. But if you said, and she was like holding a bag, you could be also a bit vague about what it was she was holding. Maybe it wasn't a bag, but you think it was like a bag. There are so many uses for like, Gav. There are. It's quite remarkable. Can I just say another big thank you to Valerie and how amazing that was. I really enjoyed learning all about like. Thank you very much. That's it. Pop down to your local bookshop, buy a copy of her book, Like Literally Dude, arguing for the good in bad English, which is out now from Viking Publishing. Um, On this topic, I did a little trawling of the net and I came across this site, speechling.com, where they listed 15 common English filler words you should know. Now, obviously, we're not going to cover all of them, but I think we should do a little activity together where we can practice, and I'll see just how well you know your fillers. Sounds fun. I love an activity. Speechling posed a really good question on their website. And what was the question? When should students use filler words? Students might not realise how common these words are in spoken English because TV shows and movies are written and rehearsed. Their dialogues are often stripped of most filler words. Likewise, podcasters and YouTubers will often edit out these little noises and filler words to make their content sound smoother. Ooh, that's a very good point. It is very obvious when you're watching reality TV how different the dialogue is. And I guess filler words are often considered unprofessional because they can make you sound unsure or unprepared. As Valerie mentioned, specific words such as like are associated with teenagers. But as Valerie also said, the people who don't like it are going the way of the dodo. (laughs) What did she mean by that, Em? Um, 
that's a polite way of saying they're not going to be around for much longer, so we have to move with the times. Gav, it's lucky our content is so smooth and it doesn't contain any distracting filler words or sounds, isn't it? Em, it's funny you should mention it. I was just listening to a recent episode of our How To English podcast and made this little compilation. Um, well, I was thinking... I think it might be... Actually, from my side. Actually, so even... Yeah, or it's just... Oh, I think... Yeah, totally, and maybe we're a bit of a... Okay, so there were some conditionals in there, some prepositions. Yeah. And then they look at me like to say... Mm, I'm totally aware of the fact... Mm, so just using a... And they'll say, I just watch Netflix or something, so... So maybe it takes a bit longer. Yeah. Of course, if you're only doing... Totally different, really, really important. Kind of... But I really, really want to talk about listening kind of question, you know. It just comes naturally. I don't think they even know, Gav. I think they just... Oh, M. I think... Let's mix it up a bit. As I said before, it's very much... I've kind of gone blank, Gav. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's very similar to... Okay. Oh, yes. So, M. could we just quickly... Mm -hmm. And finally, let's just have loads of fun learning. Thanks for pointing that out to me, Gav. And um, I'm going to try not to overanalyze what that sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) It's really surprising how many filler words and discourse markers are in our show, M. I'm sure they're all necessary, though. Well, they were making our speech very approximate sometimes and indirect, maybe to sound more polite as well. Mm -hmm. Words like like. Maybe, perhaps, kind of, bit of, or something, which does make you sound more polite and less direct. As I mentioned, M, I've got an activity for you, and we're going to practice some of these filler words. I'm sending you a Google Docs presentation. Have a look. Slide one is O, spell O-H. O is one of the most common filler words in the English language and people of every age and dialect say it. So we have an example sentence here. The example is, I don't know. Where will you put O into that sentence, Em? Hmm, I think it would be, oh, I don't know. So at the beginning. That sounds good. Why would you use it there and what does it mean? It would sound really weird if it was anywhere else, and I think it would suggest I'm surprised. Oh, it does sound surprised. Check your answer on the next slide. Oh, Gav, that is correct. Well done. Did you like that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised. What's on the next slide, Em? The next one is you know, or you know, but I think most people would say you know. Let me read the example sentence to you. We use a lot of fillers every day. Now, where are you going to put you know? You can put it lots of places, I think. You can say, you know, we use a lot of fillers every day. Or we use a lot of fillers every day, you know. They would both be very good answers. I suppose you could also say we use a lot of, you know, fillers every day. Oh, that sounds good too. You could put it almost anywhere. I guess we're checking for agreement. Or maybe we already know the person agrees with us, but we want to reassure them that we have the same opinion. Yeah, it's sort of doubt, isn't it? There's a bit of doubt there if you put it in the middle or at the end. But I think at the beginning, it's also, I'm thinking a bit, you know, 
This is what I want to say and I'm thinking how to say it. So, you know, we use a lot of fillers. Or maybe, you know, we use a lot of fillers every day. Intonation is really important too, isn't it? It changes the meaning a little bit. Check your answer, Em. Yes, I am right. What's the next one? I mean. And your example sentence is, Gav and Em's podcast is really informative. <laughs> um, I would probably start with it, I think. I mean, I mean, Gav and Em's podcast is really informative. I like that. And why would you use it? This is difficult. Um, I think it, it's kind of what it is. It, it's what I really want to say. It tells you that I mean it. And maybe it's a bit of a pause as well. You could be responding to somebody when they say, well, what do you mean? And you say, I mean, Gavin M's podcast is really informative. So you're explaining something. And emphasising it, I think, as well in that situation. Well, because you've repeated the verb mean. But if you start with something like, I mean, it's a difficult job to do. I think you're just showing a bit of hesitation before you speak. And many people start sentences with I mean, even though it seems to have no connection with the previous sentence, somebody else said... You're right, Gav. You're absolutely right. I mean, do you get what I mean? (laughs) Sounds weird, but okay. (laughs) Em, let's do one more. Perhaps our most favourite word. Mm, This is a good one. So. So, let me give you the example sentence... What are we doing next? Hmm. We use so in sentences like, oh, that's so nice, and that's an intensifier, but we wouldn't use it in a sentence like, what are we doing next in the same way? So I would start with it again. So what are we doing next? That's a bit more of a signposting word. Yeah, I would definitely only put it at the beginning, this one. Indicating to the person, it's time for action, there's something changing, something new coming. No, I think that's when you say, it was raining, so I took an umbrella. It's like the result of something. But I don't think it's the same in this. I think, so, what are we doing next, is the same as saying, I'm finished with what you were saying, and I'm trying to carry on with what I want to do. Yeah, so so what are we doing next? Like, I'm done. Yeah, and I also teach this from time to time when we're doing telephone language with my students. And if you want to indicate to the person on the other end of the phone that you're finished, you say, so it was nice talking to you. That's a really good tip, isn't it? And that immediately signposts, we're finished, this is over, I need to go now. Yeah, that's excellent. Emma, I hope you enjoyed my activity today. I did, it was brilliant. I can definitely use that with my students and it's a really nice way of having a conversation about words that really help explain their meaning. And you could put those sentences into a conversation and practice the dialogue in a role play. Absolutely, that is a nice way to extend that activity. If you don't mind, Gav, I'd like to just continue a little bit with the showing interest part of language Because that's another thing I find sometimes missing with my students. They don't respond to me. So when I say, I had a really nice weekend, I get a lot of happy faces, but nothing else. No kind of expressions, sounds or anything. It's quite rare that I get a student that does any kind of showing interest sound. 
Is that in a group or a one-to-one? Or does it not make any difference? Doesn't make any difference. Maybe, well, maybe if in a group they're less inclined because it does seem a bit of a confidence thing sometimes that students need to do it. But I have so many one-to-ones that don't do it either. And do you pose questions to them? You say, I went away this weekend. Do you want to know what I did? No, I just tell them. usually and then say ask me questions look interested no I don't say that but I um I do it all the time that's the other thing I'm constantly making noises and I think it's noises of interest yes noises of interest (laughs) it's encouraging I think if you as I think we've mentioned in a previous episode if you just say the word really every couple of seconds somebody is just going to keep talking and is that really or is it really either I, th- I think it's more of the second one really like a question really really oh maybe that is falling intonation you mean well i think really is reassuring mm. really is i don't think i believe you true you are right it is a falling intonation it's the same with question tags isn't it when you know it's true you say you're happy today aren't you and you go down but if you say you're happy today aren't you That's a real question. So that might stop them. So yes, really, really, with a falling intonation, say that and let the conversation flow, I'd say. But I don't hear it from my students very often. One or two do it. And when they do it, I'm like, wow. So how can we practice it in the classroom, Em? That is a good question. One I've often struggled to find a good way of doing it. Because the other thing is when you do highlight it and you try and teach it, Students tend to perform it. They're over-exaggerating it and it really doesn't sound natural or it sounds sarcastic. So you're telling a story and they're just shouting, really, really <laughs> at you. And so it's it's a skill to be able to teach it, but it's also a really hard thing for students to use it correctly. One Stop English has a good worksheet called Showing Interest, which I use a lot. It gives good examples of fillers, and then demonstrates a good sentence for using them. So teaching the students how to appropriately respond during conversations. Exactly. Gav, tell me about your morning. Well, this morning I woke up very, very early. Really? I got up, I went into the kitchen and I looked around for the kettle. Uh Uh-huh. And you would not believe it. Oh. The kettle was not there. (gasps) So I went into the living room. Uh-huh. It wasn't there either. Mm. I went into the bathroom. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. It was in the bathroom. Really? I couldn't believe my eyes. Oh, wow. Okay, that was a bizarre story. <laughs> How did it get in the bathroom? I'm not sure. I think I was boiling some water for something to, to wash in the sink. Okay. So while you were telling me that story, Gav, did you notice anything I said to you? I noticed you were using some very encouraging sounds, Em. Such as? Oh. Mmm. Aha. Wow. And I think you said, really? Yeah, I think I was posing some of them as higher intonation because I couldn't quite believe what you were saying, so I wanted you to confirm. But yes, all of those, showing interest sounds and words. Okay, Gav, tell me about your plan for dinner. For dinner, Em? I think I'm going to have spaghetti and veggie meatballs. Are you? Yes. I'm going to boil the spaghetti. I'm going to fry the meatballs. 
I've decided to have this dish because yesterday I only had vegetables. Did you? Yeah. I'm on a very light diet and every other day I'll have something super healthy. Will you? Mm-hmm. Okay, Gav, I'm going to stop with the questions because I think you just want to keep going, don't you? I could go for hours talking about my food, Em. And you want to keep going also because of the way I'm making you carry on. It was very encouraging. You kept asking me things. What was I doing? They sounded like auxiliary questions. They were. Such as, did you? Will you? Are you? These are very good questions to use if you want someone to keep talking. I wonder if this is difficult for our students, though, Em. Yes, it does take practice. You need a good command of auxiliaries, but keep practising it. You'll get there. They are very, very good. And I think there's a few activities around that we could recommend. Definitely. Check out the show notes for practice on auxiliary questions. Okay, Gav, one more thing. Can you tell me about any exercise or sports you do? Certainly, Em. I regularly get on my exercise bike and I try to do at least 45 minutes a day of hard, intensive pedalling. 45 minutes? Yeah, 45 minutes. I think it's just enough to raise my heart rate while still not getting too sweaty so I can get back to work. Not getting too sweaty. Yeah. The other day, I did more than 60 minutes. And to be honest, I think it was a bit too much. Yeah, a bit too much, I think. Mm, So I'm not going to do that again. I'll keep it down to 45 minutes. 45, that sounds about right. Mm. Gav, did you notice what I was doing that time? Um, I did. You were echoing me. I was. You were repeating what I was saying and it was very encouraging again. I just wanted to keep talking and talking. Yeah, so choose the words carefully. Obviously don't echo everything. That would be a bit creepy. Definitely use these techniques. Use a combination of these techniques and then if all else fails, go for questions, Gav. Just ask questions. The WH questions. So what happened? Why was that then? How did you feel? There's a lot of open questions there where I can't simply say yes, no, and that's the end of our conversation. That's it. So you keep that conversation going. That's the goal. So what we did, Gav, I had you or let's say the student telling a story and then the other student is responding accordingly and appropriately using fillers. And these fillers can be on the board You can give them the fillers, you can ask them to remember the fillers, but just have a maybe target to keep the conversation going for five minutes, something like that. That's a really good challenge. Absolutely. Em, that was loads of fun. Now, before we finish, we need to do... Learn a word. Gav, is that a xylophone? I think it was, Em. This week's word is kind. I often hear people using synonyms to explain kind, but it's important to distinguish the differences between these kind words. Basically, I want you to shine a light on them for me, Em. So we're just looking at kind in this adjective way of saying this person is kind. Mm. We're not looking at like a kind of person or a type of person or a sort of person. Not that kind of kind. No. And we are exploring this world through the lens of a thesaurus. Oh. So if I said to you, affectionate. Oh, okay. Likes to give love. 
and quite tactile. I don't know why that comes to mind. That does sound like a kind person, but maybe a strong word in a loving way to be affectionate suggests love. Yeah. How about the word amiable? That immediately makes me think friendly, easygoing, someone you'd like to be with. How about charitable? Ooh, like generous, gives things to people. Compassionate? Feels deeply about things and wants to show love in that way. I'm trying to think how it's different from affectionate, but I think it's more of a feeling than a active thing. Maybe it's more internalised, whereas affectionate is where you're expressing that love. Mm. Considerate? Well, you think about other people. You show that you're thinking about them. You ask them about how they are, do things, and your actions are showing that you're really thinking about that person. Mm, Thoughtful. How about cordial? That's a bit like amiable, I think. It's like friendly. Polite, perhaps. More polite. It sounds very formal, doesn't it? It does. That sounds quite distant, kind, friendly, but at a safe distance. Mm -hmm. Courteous? Oh, this is getting difficult. Uh, Courteous would be, again, polite, but aware of social rules and following polite behaviour, I think. I always think of someone putting a jacket over a puddle or something. (laughs) So it's probably a combination of being polite, friendly and considerate. Kind-hearted. Well, it sort of is what it sounds like. You're just nice. You like people. You like doing things for people. You think about people. You care about people. You're just an all-round good person. And sympathetic. Hmm. Now, this is always a false friend, isn't it? Sympathetic doesn't mean nice, but it can mean kind in the way that you listen to people and you understand what they're going through and you show that you're feeling their pain. Typically, I teach this when your friend has a problem, you show them that you care and you understand, as you've just said. And this would be, for me, sympathetic, to show sympathy. Finally, tolerant. You can put up with stuff. (laughs) You're quite patient. You can withstand difficult behaviour, perhaps. Hmm, that was good. That's a nice list, isn't it, of synonyms for the word kind. And the definitions for these words should be considered when using them. Exactly. I think those are all different. Can we just come back to nice, Gav? Is it a synonym for kind? I said it wasn't a synonym for sympathetic, but could you say that person is kind or that person is nice? I would say so. Mm, I think it is the same. Maybe kind does suggest they do things for other people and they are very friendly. That's exactly what I was thinking, Em. Thanks one more time to Valerie Fridland for her contribution to today's show. Please consider buying a copy of her book, like Literally Dude, Arguing for the Good in Bad English, which is out this month. And thanks to Hong Yu from Speechling.com for letting us use their fabulous article. And thanks to the mysterious xylophone player from our Learner Word feature. You can find all the links to today's show in our show notes. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's show, please consider buying us a coffee or a tea on coffee 
youtube.com forward slash how to English pod. And a special thank you to Charlotte from English in Athens on Instagram for her continued support to our show. We're really, really grateful. Charlotte and Pearl from Pearl English Teacher, also on Instagram, will both feature on our next episode. And that episode is going to be all about being a teacher on social media. So make sure you don't miss that. So, um, uh, Gav, I suppose I'll, uh, like, see you kind of next time, you know? I do know. <laughs> Bye. See ya. See ya.